good Sunday afternoon to you. Ellie Krug here with Hidden Edges Radio. I am thrilled to be occupying your brain for just a few minutes. And、uh, hello, I hope your day is going great.、Um, welcome again if you are a regular listener. And if you're new, welcome, welcome. This is Hidden Edges Radio, where we take on issues rel- relative to surviving the human condition, where we talk about stories of grit and resiliency, and we talk about what it means to be human. And that would be me included, because for our new listeners, Bear in mind, regular listeners, you always hear this. I'm transgender, which explains why the voice does not match the name Ellie Krug. All right, there you go. We got that done with. We have a great show today with a lot of different topics.、Um, and, you know, as I said earlier,、uh, a second ago, that this is about. How we are working, this show is about how we're working to explore, working to explore and survive the human condition. One of those survival strategies is through our pets. In many instances, our dogs, our cats, or our birds, or pet hamsters are a source of unconditional love and a way for us to find comfort from a world that's often very uncomforting.、Um, and today I want to focus on dogs. Human's best friend,、um, and a fairly shocking thing that is happening across our country relative to our dog, our four year furry friends, and that is the instance of police involved shootings of dogs. And I have on the line with me、um, a wonderful writer about this topic,、uh, Aaron Greenwood, who happens to be a lawyer as well as an animal writer who lives in Florida with her husband and their dog, Murray, and a number of cats. Erin、uh, has been, a,、uh, she's been the animal welfare editor for the Huffington Post and now writes about dogs and cats and other critters for the Today Show, the Washington Post, Slate. Um, the American Bar Association Journal, which I'm going to r- talk about, and a number of other publications. Erin, welcome to Hidden Edges Radio. We love having you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, thank you. So, Erin,、um, you're here on the show because I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer,、um, and I,、uh, I was reading the most recent issue of the American Bar Association monthly magazine、uh, named The Journal. In a, a, about a piece that、um, was titled Pet Threat and details the shocking number of dogs, cl-、uh, dogs killed by police officers every day. This is a piece that you wrote, yes? Yes, I wrote this piece. Okay, so can you, I mean, I was not aware of this phenomenon. I mean, I, I've heard, of course,、uh, about.、Um, Dogs being shot by police officers, but I had no idea that the extent to which it happened. So, can you fill us in a little bit? How frequently is this happening? And why are you involved in writing about it? Sure.、Uh, I mean, one of the sort of troubling things here is that even though we know this is a pretty common occurrence, we don't actually know how often it happens because there's no systematic data collection about this. So, there's no one group or one agency that's collecting data. About every time there's a dog shot by police. What we know mostly is from media reports and from lawsuits and from, from that sort of thing.、Um, but the best estimate that we have, which is, you know, it's, it's really just an estimate, it's a good guess, but it's that there's about 25 or 30 dogs killed per day by police officers. That's an astronomical number 25 or 30 dogs、um, Killed by police officers in the United States every day. And that comes up to what, about 10,000 dogs a year? Yeah, that's the estimate. Wow. And, and so, one of the, and,、um, I saw one of the statistics is that there are about 90 million dogs in the U.S., right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,、um, and in your piece, Pet Threat, that shows up in the American Bar Association magazine, The Journal, and I, frankly, I don't know whether non. ABA members can find that online. Do you know, is there a place where they might be able to check this piece out? Do you know? Yep, they sure can. I'll send you a link so that you can put it up on Facebook. Okay, well, that's great. We will do that.、Um, but in your piece, you start out writing about the Reeves family in suburban Baltimore. Do you want to bring us up on that story? Yeah, it's a, it's a really terrible story. And unfortunately, it's not that. Out of the ordinary. In, in 2014, there was a police officer who was, who was 
out looking in a in a suburban neighborhood for I believe it was for a for somebody who'd burgled a house. I believe that's who they were looking for. And in the course of doing that, they landed in the the yard of the Reeves family. Their dog happened to be outside. Their dog Fern, who was you know their beloved pet, he was a dog that they loved very much, and. You know, Vern did what your dog would have done if your dog was in the yard, which is, you know, make some noise and let the intruder know that they're not supposed to be there. But this time, Vern got shot by a police officer and was killed. And it was just a a terrible story. And the family came outside after they heard gunshots and they found their dog bleeding to death out in the yard. Um, well, and Vern was a, a, Ches- a four-year-old Chesapeake Bay retriever that the family mm-hmm. just absolutely loved. Yep. Um, and it, they come out to the yard, they see this, they try to stop the bleeding for the dog, and of course the dog does not make it. And then um, what, of course, part of the angle of your your piece in the ABA Journal is about how families are suing police departments over these dog deaths. Yeah, uh, so so the family sued. Um, they sued the police officer who'd shot Burn, and they sued the county uh, and they got the largest judgment in history for this sort of thing, for a police officer shooting a dog. They got a $1.26 million judgment, um, which later got reduced under a under a state statute that limits uh, local government's liability. Uh, it got reduced to just over $200,000. Um, but it's still, it's still a substantial amount of money. Um, and it, it reflects a couple of things. It reflects, first of all, just how important pets are to us. You know, that... that this is not just a dog who's worth a couple of hundred dollars. You know, this is not a piece of property to you, that this is a family member to you. And it also reflects that the the, the courts are starting to recognize this. Um, traditionally, pets' value is just as property as far as the law is concerned. But that's, that's starting to change. Um, and these sorts of judgments reflect that change. Well, and in your piece, you survey a number of other judgments. Can you bring us mm-hmm. up to date on some of those, what you found? Oh, sure. Sure. This is a fairly recent phenomenon of, of uh, pets being, uh, of pets' deaths getting these sorts of awards. Um, and the first one that, that folks know about is in 2005. Uh, that's when the, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, it's a federal court, held that the San Jose police officers um, who'd shot and killed a number of the Hells Angels dogs while while executing a search there um, would be liable for nearly $800,000. Um, that was that was sort of the first time we had a judgment saying, yes, it's okay for courts to award these kinds of big economic, these sorts of big judgments in the, the death of a pet at the hands of police officers. And then there's a whole bunch since. There's there's one from uh, 2016 when Detroit had to pay $100,000 to a family whose dog had been killed by police. Um, an $885,000 judgment against the city of Hartford. Um, a Colorado family that got $262,500. I mean, these, these sorts of multi-hundred dollar judgments uh, are not that uncommon. They're not that common, but they're not unheard of at this point. So, and we're both lawyers, so those judgments are tied into the idea of emotional distress and the extent to which the loss of the pet has so <laughs> severely impacted the owners of the um, of the pets, right? Yeah, that's right. And they also, they also are when, um, I mean, this is getting very technical here. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. They're also when when it's been found that there's a constitutional violation. So when when the police have have violated the family's constitutional rights, so committed an unlawful taking, usually when they've shot the pet, uh-huh. um, that's when you tend to see these sorts of large judgments. Well, so um, we had a um, and we had an instance here in Minneapolis last summer. Uh, where a police officer shot two emotional support dogs in the backyard of a house where he was um, investigating an alarm that had gone off, and he could see, actually, the back door of the house was open as he entered the backyard. And two dogs approached. They were pit bulls. And when we come back from our break, I want to talk about some of the classism that's involved with animals. Sure. Um, but uh, the, uh, the, the officer, it was videotaped, the officer shot... Uh, the two dogs, one of 
one dog of which w- had come up to him and had turned away and was just wagging his tail in a very mm-hmm. friendly manner. He shot that dog first, and then another, uh, its companion, another pit bull, attacked because, of course, it found that part of its family was being attacked. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and in that case, uh, as far as I know, uh, there hasn't been a civil lawsuit. At least I could not find one easily online. So, um, so Aaron, uh, this is all fascinating. When we come back um, from our break, I'm going to want to talk with you more about uh, this phenomenon of police-involved shootings with pets. And you're also a writer, is that correct? I mean, yes. you talked about that, and you're an author, right? Yes, and, I have a book coming out this month. Actually. All right. Well, when we come back from our break, I'm going to want to I'm going to want to talk uh, about your your book and um, about uh, um, it coming out. And uh, and so, uh, uh, audience members, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few uh, transgender radio hosts in the world, uh, talking with Aaron Greenwood, who's been writing about uh, how. Uh, dogs have been the victim of shootings by police departments across the country at the rate of almost 10,000 dogs a year. Of course, we don't exactly know because we're unsure of the exact number. This is astounding to me. I mean, I had no idea about the extent of this, Aaron, until um, we read, uh, the, uh, until I came across your article. So when we come back, uh, folks, we'll talk a little bit more with Aaron, and then we'll go on to my uh, odds and ends and human is human segment. Thanks so very much. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. This is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Bill McLeslie, owner of IP House. When you got your computer, you heard that it all works together seamlessly. You just need to connect the printer to the Bluetooth on the router? Does your business struggle with technology? Our mission is to make technology simple. We provide tech support for businesses just like yours. We help you take control of your technology with support in plain English. If your technology has the better of you, call us, 612-337-6337. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club is delighted to offer its spacious facilities for your private function. From weddings, retirement parties, business dinners, or any special occasion, Crooner's combines a dedicated, full-service special events team, an award-winning chef, and a beautiful lakeside ambiance to make your event a resounding success. Visit croonersloungemn.com to learn more about their private dining options or call 763-571-9020 to get a quote for your next event today. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. 
If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. We are back on AM 950 with Hidden Edges Radio. This is me, Ellie Krug, your host with the most. I've been speaking with Erin Greenwood about her piece that showed up, her story that showed up in the American Bar Association journal magazine, Pet Threat, about uh, the high, un unbelievably high incidence of dogs being shot by um, law enforcement uh, officers. And, 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 and I also want to make sure that People with law enforcement listening to this understand that I know, and I'm sure, Aaron, you can speak up on this. We understand they have difficult jobs that are filled with all kinds of dangers. And dogs, in some instances, represent that. So um, I, this is not a bashing the police officer story. Aaron, before we broke, I talked about the incident that happened in Minneapolis last year about the two, uh, the two dogs that were shot by a Minneapolis police officer investigating a, a potential burglary. And you investigated that as well as part of your research. And what did you further find out that this uh, Minneapolis Police Department was doing? As a, res uh, as a response. Oh, sure. Well, what the Minneapolis Police Department agreed to do immediately was was have training for their officers in, in um, they call it non-lethal dog encounters or non-lethal canine encounters. Basically, courses that teach police officers how to read a dog's body language, how to engage with a dog so that everybody walks away safely, um, ways to try to encourage the dog to to leave you alone while you're doing whatever it is that you need to do, or if you need to get a dog to sit or to go away, you know, how you can get a dog to do that without shooting them. Um, and, and, you know, what most folks say looking at these situations is that that's really what's needed in order to reduce the incidence of dogs being shot by police is they need more training. They need to learn, you know, what, what dogs are like, what dogs are likely to do, how, you know, what a dog means when they're barking at you in different situations. And that this is, this is how everybody walks away more safely. And there is, is there, a, there's a company or an individual at least that's doing this training across the country. Yes. Yeah. There's a few different people who are doing it. The one I spoke with for this piece is a, is a dog aggression expert named Jim Crosby who lives in, in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and he's developing a course that he hopes is going to be used by by law enforcement agencies across the country. Um, and it's a it's a course to do exactly that to to teach police officers how to engage with dogs and for everyone to walk away okay. That's great. Now, yeah. Now, for me, the the thing that stood out from the story about um, Minneapolis last summer, and I'm. And I can't tell with all the dogs that are list, you know, all the instances that are listed in your article in the ABA Journal. But the, but there is there is classism among dogs, is there not? And the dogs in Minneapolis last year were pit bulls, and I know from just my experience of navigating the world that pit bulls. Uh, for the most part, uh, occupy a far lower place on the scale of um, likable dogs compared to, you know, golden retrievers or, you know, some other kind of uh, of pet. Is that something you found in your research as well? And and then the question, of course, is does it make it easier for police officers then to shoot them? Um, you happen to have touched on one of my one of my big issues. Um, you know what the most of what I'm probably best known for is as a person who writes about pit bulls and pit bull advocacy. Um, and yeah, what, what you touch on is exactly right that that pit bulls, which which aren't even a breed of dog, they're they're more of a look of dog than a breed of dog. But that there's a lot of fear toward pit bulls and a lot of discrimination toward pit bulls, and that people you know, see a pit bull coming toward them and they make all kinds of negative assumptions about what's about to happen, you know, which may then lead them to behave in ways that, you know, are, are dangerous. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a really bad situation. So part of what dog writers like me try to do is to help people see that pit bulls are just dogs, just like any other dog. And that, you know, if you tell a pit bull to sit, a pit bull will sit just like any other dog will sit. And that, 
you know, that, that they're not any different from any other dog except in the way that people behave toward them. Right. And it, and it's sad. I mean, but there is this classism that does exist and, um, and I, I very, very unfortunate. And I hope that, and in your writing, as you're writing about pit bulls, are you getting favorable reactions or are you getting pushback? Like we have a society right now that's divided in so many ways and are they being divided around this topic? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I would say that you're both, both things are true and that I would say anybody who, whose work involves trying to dislodge discrimination and trying to, you know, make the world a little bit of a kinder place and to help people not fear the groups that they're, that they're afraid of generally, you know, everyone gets some pushback on that and that's true with pit bulls as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think that more and more people are getting dogs and more and more people are, who are getting dogs are getting pit bulls because there's just a lot of pit bulls out there. And I would say that, you know, familiarity breeds respect and it breeds losing fear. And so as more people become familiar with pit bulls, they stop seeing them as other and stop fearing them <laughs> in the same way. That might be overly no, optimistic. No, I, I tend no. to be an overly optimistic person, but I, I, I think that's true. Well, I'm in that same optimistic uh, camp and of course I talk about other as it relates to humans Aaron before we go I want to make sure that the audience knows that you are a published author you've got one book out there and then you have another to come out so go ahead and let us know what your existing book is and what you've got a book called Your Robot Dog Will Die which I've read the the um, uh, write up for it it sounds fascinating so go ahead tell us about your book Oh, thank you. I'm so excited about this book coming out. It's coming out on April 17th. Um, it's being put out by Soho Teen. Uh, it is a book that's set at a dog sanctuary in Florida, which is home to the last dogs on earth and also a whole bunch of really cute robot dogs. There's a girl named Nano Miller who is 17 years old and has grown up in this place. And it's just the most perfect place. It's been her home and she loves it dearly. And then she discovers a dark secret that threatens her whole world there. It threatens the dogs and her family and her burgeoning love with a first love with a boy named Wolf. And she has to basically set out to save everyone she cares about and everything she cares about. And it's, I think, a real celebration of dogs. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dog writer. I'm a crazy dog person. I love dogs. And I, I think of this book as being a celebration of dogs and my, my aim is that people who read it will want to go out and adopt a dog and probably also a robot dog. Um, <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it that you've got a, you've got a girl as the heroine um, with a strong, obviously strong person. Um, and we don't have enough books that are about uh, strong girls. And then you have another book that's already out there. Is that right? Yeah, I have two other books that are out there. Um, one is called Tropical Depression, and that is a book very, very loosely based on my time as a lawyer out on a small tropical island near Guam. Um, that was my first book. My second book is a young adult book called Save the Enemy, um, which is kind of a, another madcap thriller. Uh, yeah, so oh. this is my third book now. Apparently this is what I do. I write books. Well, that's, well <clears throat> I am sure that you uh, write exceedingly well. And Aaron, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so very much. Um, we've been speaking with Aaron Greenwood, um, who has written about uh, the pet threat, how dogs are being shot by police officers across the country, and um, about her upcoming book, uh, the Your Robot Dog Will Die, which will be out on the 17th. Aaron, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. All right, audience, uh, when we come back, I'll do my odds and ends one and two, and then human is human segments. Thank you so very much. I'm Damien Strange, Executive Director of Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association, NEMA. And I'm personally inviting you to Arter World, May 18th through the 20th. View artwork of over 650 artists in every medium at more than 50 locations throughout Northeast Minneapolis, including studio buildings, art galleries, homes, storefronts, and local businesses. The Artist Open Studio Tour may include demonstrations, mini workshops, installations, and special exhibitions. 
Studio tours offer a great opportunity to ask questions, discuss techniques, experience art firsthand, and purchase unique artwork directly from artists. Arter World gives you a unique opportunity to meet the artists who make our community so vibrant and invest in our art community by purchasing artwork that you connect with. For more information, go to nemaa.org. That's nema.org. Looking forward to seeing you at Arter World. Crazy about pets? We are too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard, and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry, as we discuss healthcare, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This spring, the early bird gets more than the worm. They'll also get triple savings from standard heating and air conditioning. That's right, you can triple your savings in April when you purchase a new furnace and air conditioner. Go for the HVAC hat trick by saving up to $900 three times. Take advantage of utility rebates, manufacturer rebates, and April savings. April is the only month Standard Heating is offering the HVAC hat trick triple savings, so don't wait. Details at standardheatingdeals.com. Some restrictions apply. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, the comfort you deserve. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. As a teacher, having a foster grandparent in my room, it, it enables me to have an extra set of hands. Foster grandparents are role models, tutors, and friends to children with exceptional needs. It's been fantastic having Grandma Freddie in our room. It is the best feeling in the world. I'm a best student because of her. To learn more about how to become a foster grandparent and help children in need, call 1-800-942-2677 or visit SeniorCorps at nationalservice.gov. On Hidden Edges Radio on AM 950, this is your host, Ellie Krug. Wow, what an interview with Aaron Greenwood and that story about dogs and police-involved shootings and the kind of judgments that people are getting against uh, police departments as a consequence of those um, un terribly unfortunate incidents. And I am sure the police are feeling just as bad about the incident as, as the family members are, the owners of the dogs. Um, but wow. And uh, it sounds like she's got a great book coming out. Maybe that um, should be something that you should check out. So this is now our segment on odds and ends, uh, where I kind of talk about what's going on in the world um, related to a variety of different things. And these two odds and ends, uh, sometimes they're totally different, but today they are interrelated. So, um, remember, I do a lot of training across the country as it relates to human inclusivity and to diversity. And we've heard all heard that phrase, diversity and inclusion. And with a very broad brush, uh, diversity is about numbers, about the number of, you know, of them, quote unquote, in the room, people who are different, either by uh, skin color or LGBTQ status or religion or 
veteran status or disability status. You got you got the idea. It's about the numbers of those people that we that are different in the room versus a bunch of you know people who are homogenous. So that's diversity. Inclusivity is the extent to which somebody feels as if they matter. I mean, that's really what it means. So you got numbers and diversity as numbers and inclusivity is how people feel about how they are with an organization. For this segment, I want to talk about diversity. I want to talk about um, what that, what, you know, I want to talk it up about it particularly as it relates to our government uh, right now. Because, um, a, you know, remember this... Uh, this show is taped, so uh, sometimes you get things that have a little date stamp on them. And so I'm, I'm uh, reporting here from a March 27th CNN Politics article by uh, Sarah Gaiman, who reported that several sources, several employees at the Department of Interior uh, commented on and were distressed about um, statements made by the um, Secretary of Interior, Ron Ryan Zinke, relative to diversity. Several people reported that Zinke said that he won't focus on diversity within the department, that he has said that, quote, diversity isn't important, unquote, or, quote, I don't care about diversity, unquote, or, quote, I don't really think that's important to anyone, unquote. And, you know, I mean, Zinke, of course, is an older white man, and the power levers in many places in our country, many of our institutions, public or private, are controlled by older white men. And no, I have nothing against older white men. Actually, I'd love to date one. Um, no, it's just that that's the way it is in our country. Um, each time that Zinke has made those statements about diversity, he's uh, also added uh, something to the effect that what's important is having the right person for the right job. Now, uh, many of our, um, <laughs> yes, okay, but that's a very traditional thinking, a right person for the right job, because usually the right person for the right job happens to be a white man. I'm just saying, okay? And in 2017, early in mid-2017, so last year, the Interior Department reassigned 33 senior executive staffers, 15 of whom were minorities. So think about this. You know, Zinke takes over. There's this big shuffle among the senior leadership at the Interior Department. And nearly half of those people that get shuffled are people who um, are from marginalized minority communities. And as it was, only 28% of the 235 senior leaders at the Department of Interior were minorities. Yet, it's 40% of the 33 uh, people moved around were non-white. So, 7 of 12 Interior Department divisions are all white at the top levels. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've got a government being run by white people who are saying uh, that uh, diversity is not important. Now, remember, not only are they saying that as it relates to color, okay, but you know that LGBTQ people and um, people of various religions, including people who are a Muslim, we know that, are not welcome um, with this administration. And, you know, remember, I this show is about unifying, not dividing. I'm not here to divide any further. I am here as a human focused on the idea that there is no way we can get past our divisions unless we become familiar with people who constitute quote-unquote other. And you cannot get familiar with quote-unquote other people unless you know them, unless you're in proximity to them, unless you work with them, unless you spend time with them, unless you talk to them and get to know them, with quotation marks around them throughout that. And so, you know, thanks a lot, um, you know, Secretary Zinke, for just shutting down the whole idea that diversity is important. Great role model. Sorry, I'm just, I am. I'm a little, I'm very upset about this. So let's move on to odd and end number two. And that is, um, uh, uh, which sh should come as no surprise in light of what I just talked about, odds and end number two is uh, about the annual 
uh, photograph, collective photograph of the White House interns. Um, so the White House host interns, I think they do it on a semester basis. So you have fall interns and you have spring interns. And uh, just beginning of April, uh, that photograph came out and you have the, pic- the, pl- the president posing with, um, I think, 91, if I counted them right, 91 interns all dressed up in suits and dresses, um, you know, surrounded, surrounding the president in a room in the White House, all looking, you know, like this is our class of interns. And the thing was, out of those 91 interns, um, only two, only two of 91 were people of color. <laughs> Unbelievable. And so, um, uh, you know, and that, of course, compares to the Obama era and President Obama when he had interns. And those interns were um, obviously very diverse. You should see the pictures. If you go on social media and ask for it to compare, you'll see that 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 intern class was very diverse. Now, as it relates today to the Trump White House and their intern um, contingent, okay, let's think about this, all right? Um, millennials right now are up and coming group with our millennials, minorities, people of color, people representing other, other marginalized class account for 44% of all mar- uh, millennials. So they're nearly half by the year 2035 to 2044. The numbers are all over the place, but certainly by 2044 to 45 by then white people will be in the minority in this country. And you know, you ask me, transgender, human, Ellie Krug, white person, I can't wait for that to happen, actually. I am the parent of two uh, Korean daughters, uh, two daughters of Korean heritage. They were born in Korea. They were adopted. My, you know, my family uh, and my extended family has a, a mixed uh, marriages, you know, with different uh, races. Probably mixed is not the right word. Biracial marriages would probably be the better word, Ellie, um, teacher and trainer on inclusivity. And so, um, you know, I want, I want America to, I want white people to be in the minority. I do, because you know what? Maybe we will get, we, us white people, will get a better understanding of what it's been like um, to be in a society where, um, you know, we're, we're, for marginalized people, they're the only one in the room. Now, we can go on and on about the message that the White House photograph of its intern sends, a message that it sends to people who are other, and then the message it sends to people who are in power, like Ryan Zinke, that white is back. You know, it, to me, it is disheartening. It is. I mean, you know, and it's disheartening because of how quickly everything changed. From eight years of President Obama, where it was, you know, it was a given that if you looked in the room of anyone that President Obama was associated with, that he had a role in appointing or hiring or bringing on board or having in that space, that that it would be a diverse uh, space where President Obama was located. And now, now it's, you know, uh, find Waldo as it relates to uh, a person of color in this uh, White House and 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 it does it it breaks my heart because it's not the america that i know it's actually not a representative picture of america whatsoever we though need to remember that this is not for for forever that we need to also remember that the vast majority of America, and remember, I took that trip across the South earlier this year, and I reaffirmed how good almost all Americans are and how they are willing to be more open. And so we need to remember that most people don't accept the idea that White House should be totally white. Most people don't accept that. We need to remember as a country that things will change, that it is absolutely positive that things will change. We just have to wait. And I, for me, I am very impatient. I don't know about you. For me, I don't like 
to be um, in situations that are intolerable, that I can't change. Um, and, and for me, this is very difficult, as I'm sure it is difficult for everyone, for many others as well. But remember, things will change. Come November, they're going to change a bit, we hope. And then come 2020, um, certainly we hope that they will change a whole lot. You know, America is a good country. The stuff that we're seeing that, that is coming out of Washington, this is not America. It's a sliver of America, yes, but it is not. It's not America. It's not what we stand for. It's not what most people want. I am convinced of that. I will believe that till my last breath. And hopefully that last breath won't come before 2020 when I can, when I can see how things will change. So hang in there. Hang in there with me. We will get through it. And um, you, you'll have me throughout that whole process as long as I'm around. So there you go. That and $3.34 will get you a cup of hot chocolate at Caribou. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug. If you like what you hear, go visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at hiddenedgesradio at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Buy my book, Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change. It's on Amazon, Kindle, Nook, etc. People love that book. I just needed to throw that in there. And when I come back, we will do our Human is Human segment. Thanks so very much. Mishad Cooley Erickson, a mechanical and electrical consulting engineering firm in Minneapolis, supports inclusivity by designing spaces for all user groups, honoring inclusivity and respect. These spaces include gender-neutral family restrooms and nursing mothers' rooms. For example, Mishad Cooley Erickson has designed lactation rooms for traveling mothers at the MSP International Airport. Designing these spaces has changed the expectations of similar facilities in airports around the country. Mishad Cooley Erickson designed safe and comfortable environments for occupants who are their number one priority. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. This is Ken Hagland of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our brand new show airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to one. The Minnesota Hospice Show looks forward to discussing how we honor life and to exploring the physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional issues we experience throughout all stages of life. Learn how hospice is the new face of hope and how it's your benefit, your choice. Join us Saturdays at noon and check us out online at minnesotahospice.com. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you.
time back. Ellie Krug with Hidden Inches Radio on AM 950. I hope that you've been enjoying the show on this Sunday afternoon. Um, and I hope that all is going on well in your world. This segment is my Human is Human segment where I talk generally about what it means to be human. And for this segment, I want to talk about housing. Um, because... Uh, you know, having a place to live, a place to sleep, a place to put things, a place to put your children, a place for your children to call home. You know what? That's a human right. It is. And anyone who's like, well, you know, housing these people, because we hear that with great frequency, these people, there you go with grouping and labeling. No, housing is a human right. Just like access to health care. Human right. Yep, yep. Just like access to your children. Human right. Yep, yep. And so I'm always keeping my eyes and ears open for things related to housing because I think it is so critically important. Can you imagine not having a place to stay? Maybe some of you listening right now are in flux or have been in flux in the past. I cannot imagine not being able to know where it is that I'm going to sleep on a particular night. I can't. So what caught my eye was a March 13th press release from the state of Washington on the governor's office. I mean, this press release looks like an article out of an online magazine, to tell you the truth. My hat is off to them because I did not realize it was a press release for a while. And um, the press release is about how the state of Washington is tackling the issue of homelessness in some unique ways. They've got a governor there, Jay Inslee, who is, um, understands this human rights thing about housing. So, a couple stats. Washington has the fifth highest homeless rate in the country. And that, in part, is because they have a red-hot economy that is making things worse for people on the lower ends of the economic ladder. Last, uh, last year, there met, uh, the net migration rate, that is, people leaving or, or coming into the state, the state gained 100,000 people last year just through migration. Since 2005, the state has seen a near 20% increase in population. But the housing stock has not kept up with that kind of growth. And as a result, you've had instances where rents are skyrocketing. Now get this, the average rent in Washington state, we're not talking Seattle, we're talking this, the state as a whole. The average rent is $1,842 a month. That, and rents are increasing annually by an average of 6%. Unbelievable. You know, and um, certain states, certain, excuse me, measures that Washington State has taken. So the legislature just this session has passed a couple of things. Um, for example, they passed a law that directed um, municipalities and the state to dispose of surplus land at below fair market value so that developers can build affordable housing. Another law strengthened tenants' rights. But what really attracted my attention to this press release and to what they're doing in Washington State is their experiment with tiny houses. Now, some of you will remember that I had uh, Todd, um, uh, excuse me, Todd Feske from Walking with a Purpose on my show in early February. And Todd was talking in part about shelters for um, people who are homeless, but in particular, I had him on the show to talk about tiny houses. And so what they're doing in Washington State is a grand experiment with tiny houses. So, okay, Ellie, what is tiny houses? They are small houses, usually a few hundred square feet, usually built on wheels. Um, uh, that there is an organization, uh, it sounds like a nonprofit called the Low Income Housing Institute in Washington State, which is building eight foot by 12 foot tiny houses um, that are insulated, heated with electricity. Um, those tiny houses are pooled in groups with a community kitchen, um, bathrooms, and security. Um, they are building those and they're putting them up in Washington State. Uh, now, each of those units costs about $2,200. There are currently in Washington State 10, seven tiny village. <laughs> Say that again, Al. Seven tiny house villages. 
Um, and in fact, uh, some community organizations like churches are building tiny houses over the weekend. I mean, talk about a community effort to get involved to help end homelessness where you can build these things over the weekend. Now, you know, and there are varying qualities of tiny houses. I know that there are projects in St. Paul about tiny houses where the houses are going to cost about $130,000 and up. Uh, the houses that Todd Feske is talking about here in Minnesota, which I'll come to in a second, and the ones in Washington State, the, I mean, these are houses that are heated, they have electricity, um, they're insulated, um, but um, they're not $130,000 tiny houses. And you know what? Most people don't need that. Most people don't want that. What people want is they just want a place that's secure, that they can put their stuff in, that they can uh, be out of the elements. They can be free of harassment by other people so it has a door that locks without them having to worry about somebody coming in. So I did speak with Todd Feske with Walking with Purpose, Walking with a Purpose in early February about his idea for tiny houses in St. Paul. And I am not kidding you. As I was preparing this show, literally, I'm, I'm reading about tiny houses. I'm getting ready to create my outline. Believe it or not, I do follow an outline when I speak here. And as I'm doing that, an email came in from Todd Feske. I have not heard from Todd for like four months and, or three months, and, and I get an email from him. And he, he wanted to write to me to say that um, the tiny house uh, uh, village, he's calling it tiny home village concept, is going forward here in Minnesota. The University of Minnesota's Minnesota Design Center has been studying the subject of tiny houses. They've sent a, a representative down to Austin, Texas, where Austin has a 250-unit tiny house village. And as Todd reported to me, they currently have funds to build three prototype tiny homes. They're going to do three different models built by three different teams. And uh, they're now looking for a location to stage a mock tiny home village. And I assume that that's going to take place in St. Paul. Todd, if you are listening, and I hope you are, I want you to know you rock. You and your organization, Walking with a Purpose, MN. And, and listeners, if you want to write a check to someplace, that's a great nonprofit to do it for. Um, this tiny house concept I'm going to stay up on because it is about human rights. And um, I just think it's fascinating. And it's an example of what happens when we use our imagination. And now I'm looking at the clock. We've run out of time. I hope that you've enjoyed this show. I need to make sure I do a big shout out of thanks to our sponsors, the engineering firm of Mashad Cooley Erickson, the law firm of Zaylor Stout and Associates. He does employment law. Um, and then the Pride Institute, as well as Brending Electrolysis. Uh, let, if you go contact Bev at Brending and let her know that Ellie said hi. She does great work. We need more sponsors. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what you hear, please email me at elliekrug um, at hiddenedgesradio at gmail.com or visit my website. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are the coolest. And I'll be back next week live. There you go. Take care. Bye-bye.